Stats in a Wrap, the new podcast series from Eurostat. Door the, the COVID pandemic, zijn we, uh, of ben ik al sinds voornamelijk. So now, I wouldn't say patterns of change. Um, you know, this is a city. Mes habitudes depuis le Corona pour voyager ont un peu changé. Les Reisegewohnheiten haben sich in dem verändert, in dem ich nicht mehr in Hotels im Moment. Diciamo che adesso che sta finendo la pandemia. Welcome to the first episode of Stats in a Wrap, the new podcast series from Eurostat, the statistical office of the European Union. With this series, we want to immerse ourselves in the world of statistics and to pick its most delicious morsels and striking flavours to give you, our listeners, insights into the unexpected, the quirky and the downright peculiar perspectives that only the numbers can reveal. I'm Jonathan Elliott, your host for this episode, and in today's wrap, my guests and I are going to be slicing and dicing the stats to find out exactly what happened to tourism in Europe when it was hit by the COVID pandemic. So we're lucky to have Christoph de Munter from Eurostat, who can give us all the numbers on our old and new ways of travelling, and joining him, we're equally lucky to have Ulf Sontag from NIT, a tourism research institute in Germany. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to Stats in a Wrap. Um, before we dive into the numbers and talk stats, I think we had better just talk a little bit about what Eurostat is. Christoph. Uh, Eurostat is the uh, statistical office of the European Union, and as such, we're a, a part of European Commission. Our role is to, to present uh, well, high-quality data, but that is independent and, and objective. In general, it's the uh, a lot of the work is done by the statistical offices of the of the different member states, like uh, conducting the surveys. Um, and our role is mainly to coordinate to make sure that all countries uh, compile the data in a similar way, so that we have harmonized data that we can compare across countries. Because for users like Ulf, for instance, when he wants to compare evolutions in Germany with evolutions in uh, competing markets, of course, it's essential that the data is is actually comparable. We also add the, uh, the European layer to the uh, to the national data, the the EU aggregates, uh, as, as we call it. Right. Yes. And just to clarify, uh, aggregates or aggregation is putting um, a number of statistics into one single figure. Um, so it's often things like averages or totals. Um, so, Christoph, can you now tell us a little bit about the stats and how they're put together, how they're actually produced? There's two main sources. One is business surveys from uh, operators in the hospitality sector. So it's basically monthly surveys with hotels, campsites um, and so on to produce these uh, monthly data on uh, on night spent. And on the other hand, we also have household surveys where people like you and me can be asked by the statistical office about trips they made in a, in a reference period prior to the interview. Where did you go? Uh, how long did you stay? What mode of transport did you use? What type of accommodation did you book? Uh, how much did you spend? Because that's also interesting information, of course. Uh, so these are a bit the main sources. Next to that, we also try to look into more innovative sources. We had some projects looking into to using mobile phone data. Uh, since a few years, we, we get data directly from some of the major accommodation platforms, uh, which allow us to cover that segment. So it's a, it's a mixture of, uh, of sources with, uh, as I said, a big role uh, for, the, uh, for the statistical offices in the member states uh, and then uh, some coordination uh, on our side. OK, so um, thanks, Christoph. That's the work of uh, Eurostat. Travel activity in Europe during the period in question over the last, what we're talking about, roughly two years, roughly two years, has changed, did change, was reduced, obviously. 
but travel didn't entirely stop either. So just talk us through some of the key features statistically uh, that we can talk about with any safety about those two years. Christoph, what happened in Europe in terms of tourism? I mean, there's people who um, who like traveling, there's people who don't like traveling. Uh, I think those who like traveling, they just try to travel anyway, regardless of the of the restrictions. They just, let's say, adapted their travel aspirations to what was possible. Um, we saw the same like 10 years ago in, in the uh, times of the financial crisis that people kept on traveling. I mean, you have a number of days of annual leave per year and you want to use it for traveling. And because of budget constraints, people traveled closer to home, stayed maybe in cheaper accommodation options. Uh, under the pandemic, we saw the same. People just uh, choose destinations closer to home, uh, basically because the borders were closed, uh, because they wanted to be closer to home in case uh, the, the pandemic suddenly became more dramatic, so they could uh, be faster home. Um, when we look at, at the data, um, as I said, not everybody is, is traveling. Before the pandemic, about two-thirds of Europeans were traveling, which means they make like at least, I mean, the indicators, they make at least one uh, trip with overnight stays throughout uh, a given year. Um, in 2020, this dropped to, to just below half of the people. So there are there were a number of people who did not travel. Uh, was it because of fear? Uh, I mean, we don't always know. Things we saw is that uh, domestic tourism became more important than, than international tourism. Uh, so the drops in domestic tourism, I mean, there was drops everywhere, but the drops in domestic tourism were less dramatic than the drops in international tourists. For instance, in hotels, um, uh, the number of nights spent was cut in half in 2020 compared to, to 2019, the last year before the pandemic. Uh, but this cut in half was actually minus 70% for foreign guests and only minus 34% for domestic guests. So it's it's mainly the foreigners who uh, who no longer came. Absolutely. Ulf, can you just tell me a little bit about, um, from your perspective and your client's perspective, what were the key features in the last two years that for you, was it destination change? Was it method of transport? We saw the, the, the drop of uh, participation um, wherever we looked and... Um... So it was less trips, less people traveling, um, and uh, traveling in a different way. Um, and uh, we, but we saw that uh, different kinds of destinations and different uh, kinds of travel were differently affected. So um, people tended to uh, stay within their own country. Um, they tended to go with a the car. Um, they also, if they went, they uh, tended to stay a little bit longer. So we saw really um, kind of different patterns on the one hand side, but on the other hand side, a desire actually to try as much as possible to keep up patterns uh, that you were used to. As soon as hotels were allowed uh, to cater for tourists again or for, for leisure tourists again, uh, demand picked up um, almost at the same time. Definitely, I definitely use uh, other terms of uh, um, transportation more often. For instance, uh, I usually take the train. Uh, it's, it's faster, especially to go to the Netherlands, to go to Paris, uh, but also to the south. Tell us what we know about modes of transport and whether people, uh, whether you know, whether flights were up or down. I mean, they were down, obviously. Um, and but whether we just saw more car use or whether travel tended to default to 
modes where people have more control. So, you know, a cancelled flight means you're not going anywhere, but no one can cancel your car, right? So just what do we know about the modes of transport during those two years? It's possible that people prefer to be in like in a car bubble with their own family rather than in a plane with lots of other people. Uh, but there's also, of course, the, the pure facts. If you stay closer to home for your destinations, it's less likely that you need a plane to go there. When you go to the next door uh, region, you can go by car, by, by train. Uh, while if you were used to go to, to the Canary Islands, you can only go by plane. So it's what we see in the figures that, of course, airline passenger transport dropped uh, really heavily. It was about minus 75 percent in um, in 2020, uh, which is much stronger than, than the drop in nights spent in hotels, which was minus 50 percent. So proportionally, uh, airline transport uh, suffered more. Because of the pandemic, I think um we, we sort of discovered a lot more local areas to, to explore, which we probably wouldn't go and visit normally. Um, but in terms of where we would go after the pandemic, it's the same. I mean, we, we booked Berlin before the pandemic. Couldn't go because of the pandemic, and we're here now, so, you know, it's not changed. Ulf, when we were talking about destinations, you mentioned a little bit about how your research showed that people tended to go more towards coastal destinations or perhaps mountains and rural areas and you can kind of understand why that might be um, and cities saw quite a large drop in visitor numbers talking to your clients and in your own experience can you sort of say why you think that was when you look in the cities you have a high share of um, business trips and you have a high share of international visitors and uh, what we saw is that business travel and that international travel was most affected and also because of the let's say being closer with other people uh, within a city and also with having basically mostly hotels to stay at where you also are uh, likely to meet other people and also where it's more convenient uh, to go with public transport where you also meet other people this um, feeling in the last two years that you feel safer when you have more space around you. Um, that was something that the holiday uh, makers and the short breakers um, also affected and which uh, in the end uh, yeah, was, was basically also one of the reasons why uh, yeah, areas where you have space around you and where it's more easy maybe to stay in a holiday apartment or in a holiday house rather than in a hotel, um, that those were less affected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and activities within cities tend to be more crowd-based, perhaps. Um, you, you tend to see more uh, things like um, entertainment, um, socialising, restaurants, possibly uh, clubs, that sort of thing. Those, those tend to sort of not be very good. To be, they're not very compatible with uh, social distancing, which was uh, obviously required of us quite a lot of the time. These kinds of entertainment in the cities, they were often closed. So it was uh, museums were closed, restaurants were closed. So even if you were able to go to in the cities and stay there, many of the attractions were closed or with restricted access. That's very interesting. From my own point of view, I went to London and uh, I don't live in London. I went to sort of visit London uh, right in the heart of the lockdown. And it was the strangest place. I lived, I was brought up in London. I know it extremely well. And I've never seen my home city look so weird. That everything was shut down grass had not been cut they were like wildernesses and there were no visitors and London is defined by its visitors it's 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 like New York in that respect it's the people who come in that make the place alive um just looking at the north-south divide that's really interesting I just saw some stats about how the different parts of Europe were impacted 
uh, what we basically saw was that countries relying a lot on international visitors, that they were most affected. So uh, in the south of Europe, a lot of uh, sun-seeking uh, northern Europeans are expected in normal years, and they could not travel or would not travel as in the years before. Because of the closed borders or the, let's say, the rules that came with border crossings, bigger countries, they were likely to uh, be less affected than smaller countries uh, where you don't have this, this, this population in the country that could step in for um, the, the international visitors. If you compare Spain with Malta, you see that in Spain, to a certain extent, um, the local population could uh, replace the international visitors. But if you look at Malta uh, with only a couple of hundred thousand inhabitants, um, you will not see this effect. Christoph, what's your perspective on this? When we look at the, at the regional data, you can see this. I mean, the, comparing the 2009 with 2020 figures, for instance, you, you can see on the map that the south uh, colors differently than the north of the, of the map. And it's, um, it's, it's simply because the, the, the south relies to, to, uh, to quite an extent on foreign tourists who stayed away, uh, while the north is uh, relying less on foreign tourists. And on top of that, many of the residents of those countries were not allowed to go to the southern destinations. So as an effect, in some of the northern regions, uh, northern Germany, the Netherlands, some of the areas of, of Sweden, um, we even saw positive figures for 2020. I have got to travel more. Like, pandemic has been a favor for me to travel. Because if there had not been the pandemic, there had not been the online classes and and if there would have not been the online classes, I would have not the privilege to travel because then I, have, I would have to bother about the classes. Yeah, I wonder as a side, Ulf, um, whether there were sort of regeneration effects of local, uh, local tourism and the fact that people were finding new destinations, spending money in places, and that suddenly places became attractive in the Northern Hemisphere or near where people normally lived. To consider your own country uh, to go for a holiday, I think for some people this was really uh, like something new or at least something they haven't been doing for, for some time. Um, so there was this re-exploring uh, of your own country, first uh, in looking for places to go and then eventually going. Um, on the other hand, what we saw is that people uh, tried to stick or go to destinations where they had been in the past, even if it was the distant past. So it was really more like a, let's say, not like a new discovery, but maybe more like a rediscovery. That's fascinating. That's kind of like reassurance tourism. It's kind of almost heritage tourism. It's looking for something that's, uh, that's, that's, that's grounded. I, said, I know we've seen that in the UK. and I can, It makes sense. It makes sense. People are looking for something grounded and, and rooted. I'm just going to move on slightly now to look at the business and the employment side and the, and the whole kind of fact that, that you know, this was a massive, massive industry. Um, what kinds of workers and jobs are we talking about when we're talking about those affected by the pandemic? Let's say tourism was, even before the pandemic, not the most attractive industry to work in. But on the other hand, it was also like for, for, for many jobs, quite a low skill. So the entry level to get into the industry was, was quite low. I think we saw mostly that the, the low skilled work was, was, was directly affected because they were laid off or they weren't re-employed uh, when normally the, um, the season starts. So they had to move away from tourism into other sectors. 
And I think for the low-skilled jobs and also for the talent, uh, uh, like the, the high-talent jobs, tourism has shown that it is less secure than other sectors. Like the industry now really sees that they will have a problem with stuff in the future and on both levels, on the low-skill stuff because people went away into more secure jobs, but also in the, um, let's say, higher education. Christoph, I wondered what your um, statistics tell us about labor markets and employment. The, the tourism labor market is quite different from the, let's say, the overall labor market. Which there's, I mean, in, in a positive way, there's many people who might have difficulties to find a job in other sectors who do get a chance in, in the tourism sector. Uh, also for young people, there's relatively more uh, young people in tourism uh, compared to um, to the rest of the economy. Of course, there's more people with temporary contracts. Uh, there's more people with part-time contracts. There was a drop in, in the tourism labor markets. We see that the employment figures dropped with about 15%. But this is relatively small compared to the drop in, for instance, the night spent in hotels, which was 50%. So let's say the activity levels, I mean, the, the output, the, the I mean, the whole tourism dropped with 50%, but the effects in employment were much, much lower. So companies try to keep their staff uh, also because at each point I think we all thought that the pandemic would be over two months later it's two it's two years later now so my travel habits changed a lot due to covid um, yeah you always have to be aware of the pandemic you always have to check the local um, policies and you have to always have to take a test um, although you're vaccinated and yeah it's, it's really annoying so let's talk about robot hotels. Um, when we were doing our research, we came across a few innovations responding to the very understandable fears around the virus. Um, and we came across the phenomenon of contactless tourism or low touch, no touch, I think it's called. Um, and obviously robot hotels. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Ulf. For me, it really it goes a little bit against the essence of traveling. Um, but that's a personal feeling. On the other hand, it might be really in some, for, for some activities in hotels or in the tourism sector or in tourism services, it, it, it might be a solution. And I think we will see it at some points in the future. Let's talk about uh, long term changes to tourism. Or if we talked about the talent drain uh, and the talent loss. Once a good experience chef changes career, it takes a while for that experience uh, to be replaced. So what has the pandemic done to perhaps the higher, more premium skills in the industry? In the industry, I think we will have some long-term trends um, that will affect also the demand on the long run. And um, this is, I think on the one hand side, it's um, everything with together with digital. So... Um, the, the ways we communicate, the ways we will book, the ways we will look for holidays, this will change and um, maybe we'll also see that we will have front runners in the industry, destinations or uh, operators who, um, yeah, who, who invent something, something new or do it the best way and then they will have a comparative advantage. Um, on the other hand, we see the mega trend of um, sustainability um, and now the more and more uh, the political will to change something. 
there may be some remaining effects of, of the pandemic as well in terms of uh, travel preferences. I mean, people discover destinations that they would n never have considered. Uh, and what was a plan B at the time, it, I mean, people actually liked it. I don't think there's many people who completely hated the, the trips they made in 2020 and 21. People just discovered that closer to home, I mean, in, in neighboring countries or in their own country. It is not always considered nice to, to take a long haul flight. I mean, people like it to visit these destinations. So everything together, it, it could be that some of the European destinations actually benefit in the long term from this. I mean, everybody having tasted this kind of destinations in the past uh, two years. Uh, I saw somewhere that um, holidays that favor, you know, a lot togetherness that people can build up their networks or take their families or their friends or where an opportunity to sort of recover from the loneliness of being in a bubble and lockdown, those sorts of holidays. I think Ulf, you were nodding there. I just wondered what, what you thought about that. For Germany, we see exactly these kinds of uh, travel motivations picking up. Um, so when it comes to relaxation, when it comes to spoil yourself, when it comes to be together with your loved ones, this is really... Um, something that was always important but has even increased in importance. So skydiving holidays won't be coming back so quickly. Uh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> your retreats and being alone and that sort of stuff where you could get away from people. Yeah. They're, they're not going to be so popular. Recovering from uh, what Ulf called the loneliness, it's not necessarily about being in bigger bubbles with friends. It can also be that people just want to be, uh, like, just want to see people and lights again, not necessarily friends of theirs. So the people might have missed, let's say, the crowds in city, the, uh, I mean, the, the activity in the city. Since a few years, we are cooperating with Airbnb, booking Expedia and TripAdvisor to, to share data with us. And in that data, we saw that in, in the, during the pandemic, the, the figures in, in cities dropped by 75% and more just for, I mean, reasons that we can probably relate to. Uh, not, not so easy to travel to foreign cities, to foreign capitals, uh, fear of crowds. Uh, but people who like to go to cities, they, they may have terribly missed this to, to sit, uh, I mean, to be in the crowd, basically, to, but just to be part of the crowd. I remember the first French restaurant I went back into after a year of not being out of the house. And they said, the sight of seeing other diners just feet away from me, enjoying themselves and laughing and eating was 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 completely sensational. It was a, it, I was speechless as I am now with the memory of it. It was the most wonderful sensation just to see other people around you enjoying yourself. Yes, I completely get that. What changed most um, in traveling due to COVID was the, I think the yeah, the relaxation part, you always, you're really tense You when you get on a plane or you just go to a supermarket or whatever and you just always have it in your mind that I can get um, infected and then my holiday is going to be ruined because I'm going to lie in bed and hope that I don't die. In the pandemic, my, my expectation would be that people would be motivated in their travel plans mainly by um, anxieties about catching COVID but I think from what uh, from my research that actually it's more about um, cancellation or monetary loss just tell us about that this is uh, exactly what we saw in in our research when we asked for uh, sentiment and for travel plans and for for attitudes in, in traveling that you no know, when we when we look at the the pandemic and um, what people told us about the travel plans and uh, their intentions uh, concerning travel it's they always wanted to travel. They always had ideas on what they wanted to do. 
Um, and they always had concerns. But these concerns were not panic concerns. Um, they were quite pragmatic concerns. What would happen with the money if the trip got cancelled? What would happen with the money if they catched COVID before and had to go on quarantine? So um, it was a quite, yeah, I say, pragmatic uh, approach on uh, travel planning. And what came out in the end and what we saw is that many, many people all over Europe um, adapted, were flexible, and did what was possible, rather than saying, okay, I cannot do this, then I will not travel at all. So before we go, I have a question to ask both of you, which mirrors the opening question, which is um, what your plans are this year to go on holiday, uh, how confident you are that you'll be enjoying it exactly as you plan, because obviously during the pandemic, plans were very difficult to make. So tell us, what are your holiday plans, Ulf? If I knew that uh, answer, uh, I would be maybe a little bit more relaxed. Uh, so the fact is, we know where we're going for the Easter holidays, and this is going skiing to Norway. Um, and this is the first time, so we're trying that out, and we are quite curious how this will go. Christoph. We usually don't plan a long time uh, ahead, so summer, it's, uh, it's still a black box for us. Uh, but I can already confirm to Ulf that I'm, I'm going to, to Porto beginning of June for a music festival. So I'm, I'm staying there four days. And this was booked a, a long time uh, in advance. Uh, closer to today, we're going to, uh, to Italy for Easter holidays. This is fantastic. Thank you very, very much. You've both been amazing. Christoph de Munter and Ulf Sontag there. Everyone, that's Stats in a Wrap. If you've enjoyed it, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and share the shows with friends and colleagues. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google and all the usual places. And of course, join us next month when we'll be dishing up more flavoursome insights from Eurostat. This time into the complex origins of Europe's mountain of waste. And we'll be asking, are our waste-related habits changing? What about the strangely widening gap between the packaging we produce and what we recycle? Eurostat has the numbers and the answers in the next episode of Stats in a Wrap. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.